Welcome to the Anchored in Truth podcast. Anchored in Truth is an online ministry of Safe Harbor Baptist in Georgetown, Kentucky. Visit us online at safeharborbaptist.org. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans 15. Romans 15 is where we pick up as we continue working through the book of Romans. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 6 together this morning. Starting in verse 1, this is God's Word. Now, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, The insults of those who who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, according to to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, that is our prayer this morning, that we here today in this place as your people would glorify you with one mind and one voice, that we would live in harmony for your name's sake, that we would glorify you in every way possible, as individuals and as your people. Lord, we long to see your name glorified in all the earth. And may it start here with us. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified here in Scott County, where we know there are thousands who don't glorify you, who don't even know you, who don't even know who Jesus is. So we long to see you glorified here, right here where we live. We pray for Great Crossing Baptist Church this morning. And for Pastor Ben, that that congregation would glorify you as they gather and would seek to see you glorified as they go out into this community. We pray for the country this morning of Morocco, who are grieving the loss of thousands after an earthquake, a devastating earthquake yesterday. And we pray that you would comfort those people and that you might be glorified in your comforting of them through Jesus, that they may come to know Jesus in a a country that is far from you. Lord, we pray this morning, as we look to your word, that you would speak to us, that you would be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you all may be seated. And kids, if you would like to go down to your classes, you can follow your teachers. Uh, downstairs to your classrooms. You know, sometimes we can get so caught up in the moment in details, 
that we forget the bigger picture. In December of 1972, over 100 people died in a plane crash in the Florida Everglades. Now, I wasn't alive then, but some of you all may remember that. But it was an accident, and it was extra tragic because they found out later that there was no problems with the plane. The only issue was that an indicator light went out. And this indicator indicated that the landing gear wasn't working properly. And so by being out, they thought the landing gear wasn't, wasn't working, but it turns out it was fine. It was just a light bulb that was out. But what happened was the, the flight crew got so focused on this indicator light being out that they forgot to pay attention to the rest of what was going on with the plane. And while they were trying to figure out, is the landing gear going to work or not, they forgot that the autopilot had been disabled, and they were supposed to be flying the plane. And see, they got so focused on this one little light that they missed the bigger picture of what was going on with the whole plane. And as a result, the plane crashed. 100 people died. You know, forgetting about the bigger picture, getting focused on a particular thing, is not only a problem for pilots flying an airplane, it can also tragically surface in our churches, in our relationships with fellow believers. We can get so focused on one particular thing, maybe something we don't like, a particular person we have an issue with, something we wish was a little bit different, that we miss that there is something bigger at stake. The mission of God is at stake. The mission of God advancing the rule and the reign of Jesus in the lives of people. The good news of Jesus going out to the world and to our church and the people here. Those things are at stake in what we focus on or what we don't focus on. And if we aren't careful, our particular focus on one thing or one person can hinder God's work in our lives, in our church, and through us. And Paul saw this same danger 2,000 years ago with this church in Rome. He saw that there was a danger that they might miss the bigger purpose that God had for them. Because there was this threat of division. And we've seen the last couple weeks how he's been addressing this. But here we see today a solution that Paul gives to our tendency, our temptation to focus on a minor thing and miss the big picture. It's this. His solution, live not only for your own spiritual good, but for the spiritual good of one another. How do we overcome our temptation to be so focused on one little thing over here that we miss God's purpose for us as Christians and as a church? We start to think about the spiritual good of others more than ourselves. Paul's made it clear from the first 11 chapters of Romans that a life pleasing to God is only possible through a belief and a trust in Jesus Christ. 
through believing the good news of what Christ has done, the one who saves and redeems and changes fallen, broken people and makes us new. He transforms us into his image through his sacrificial death and his resurrection and our belief in that. And we've seen the last couple months how when Jesus is our Lord and we have truly believed in him, that our lives are transformed as individuals and as his people. And we've, we're now in our third week now of kind of a series within that series of seeing this, this change that Christ brings to our life. And we're looking at how he brings a unity among God's people. And so let me just ask you, Three, here we are three weeks in. Are, do you feel like you're united with God's people? With all of God's people? The gospel will transform us to be united with God's people. And we have seen four ways that this, this gospel, this good news of Jesus, produces, produces a unity, a unique unity, with other Christians who are transformed by Jesus. We've seen how the gospel enables us to overcome disputable disagreements about secondary matters, third, third, third level matters. We've seen last week, uh, Pastor Chad preached on how the gospel keeps us from being stumbling blocks over things that are matters of conscience. This week, we see that the gospel causes us and moves us to genuinely want the good of others and to lay down our own desires, and our own desire to be pleased. And that's what we see here today. In chapter 14, Paul introduced to us two types of Christians. He calls one group of Christians the weak, and the other group of Christians the strong. Now, just to clarify, when Paul says these people are weak, he doesn't mean that they don't believe in Jesus or that they're, they don't have faith. No, he means that they haven't come to a full understanding of what their faith means in living in the freedom that Christ gives. And they had become legalists, focusing on just a list of rules of what they had to do and what others should do. And they missed the bigger purpose. He said they're weak. And the strong were the ones who had a, a better understanding of how they could live more fully for Jesus and live that out with others. But today we see something else that marks the strong. It, it, a strong person is marked by one who begins to focus more on the spiritual good of others. So evaluate yourself. Can you say, could Paul say about you that you are strong because you are very concerned and you care about the spiritual good of others? Are you one who has been thinking more about yourself? Think about how to build others up in the faith. Or are you focusing on your own spiritual needs and desires and forgetting others? So how are people transformed by Jesus to live this way? How can we become people who care more about the spiritual good of others than just thinking about ourselves? This is not a natural thing for us as people. And yet we know Jesus can do it. 
because Jesus did it. And we are his people. We see three truths, three things Paul calls us to consider, to put into practice, to live this way in Romans 15. First thing we see is that we are called to bear with others when they fail. Bear with others when they fail. I didn't say if they fail. When they fail. Because it will happen. One of the greatest challenges we face in in our faith and growing in our faith and being strong is wanting others to, to be flourishing spiritually good for their spiritual good when we don't like something. When we have to be patient and bear with them. And that's exactly what we see Paul tackle in verse 1. Now we who are strong. Now, now notice here right away, Paul sees himself as one who is strong. All right, he's, he says, we who are strong, and he's talking to others who think they're strong, have an obligation to bear the weaknesses, or your translation, the ESV says, failings of those without strength, and not to please ourselves. We have an obligation. This isn't optional to bear with someone who is weak or who has failed in the faith. If you feel like today you are strong in your faith and somebody else has done something and you think they're weaker, you have a responsibility to them. That's what Paul's saying. You have a responsibility to someone you think is wrong in the faith or has done something that shows they're weak. And this means that for us as Christians, our first thought when you are gathered with other Christians should not be, I'm going to do, what, what would I like? What would I prefer here? Or what do I have the right to do? It means we shouldn't come in and, well, what would I sing if I could pick it out? Or what would I preach on if I could preach? Or what would I say if I could get up and talk? What do I have the right to do? No, that shouldn't be our first thought. Our first thought should be the people around us. How can I bear with those who are weak? How can I come alongside them and encourage them in the faith? This question is especially, it's easy to ask. Well, what, how can I get what I want or do what I prefer? It's especially easy to ask when somebody has let us down. We are looking for an easy out to make them the villain so we can get what we want. That is the way we function as people, as fallen people. To look for the answers, not in going to people, but in ourselves and in our thinking and in our way of living. Well, this person did this, so I'm going to fill in the blank. And we justify it. Even if it means neglecting them. That is exactly the opposite of what Paul says here in verse 1. Verse 1, Paul says, Bear the weaknesses of those without strength. This word bearing with the weaknesses or bearing the weaknesses does not mean we simply tolerate what somebody has done in their weakness. No, it means we sympathize with them. We enter into their weakness. We literally bear it on ourselves. 
We take their concerns and their weaknesses on ourselves and we help them in their weakness. And this means we can't just look away or we can't ignore it. We have to do the hard work of entering in people with people in their struggle. It also means we can't keep things, or we can't just keep things from them. We have to move toward them. Let me just say, this is ministry. You know, sometimes ministry, as Christians, we're all called to be ministers. Sometimes ministry is joyful. We get to celebrate with one another. When God saves somebody, God forgives them and they know it. But we also have to do the hard work of walking with them through the valley, through the struggle. When they sin and they don't even realize it, to walk with them through it. When they are weak and don't know it. That's why Paul says, bear with them and don't just live to please yourselves. It's easy to celebrate when good things happen. That's pleasing. We have called to, to walk with them when it's not easy. Sometimes the easiest thing for us to do would be to walk away when you are bothered by someone or frustrated. When you think someone is weak in their faith in some way. Paul says, no, don't do that. Because God doesn't call Christians to do the easy thing. He calls us to do whatever it takes for him. And for the good of others to know him. And to become strong. As a follower of Jesus, you have been made new. Not to do the easy thing. Not to please yourself. But to advance the kingdom of Christ. And his rule and his reign in the lives of people around you. And whether it's a friendship or a marriage or a small group or a church. A lack of concern for others a desire to do just what you feel like you need to do or you want to do without thinking about the other person is contrary to the heart of the gospel. That's not what Jesus did or who he calls us to or who he's made us to be. What do I like? What do I prefer? What do I have the right to do? That's not the way of Jesus. So don't just write off someone who is weak. If Jesus lives in you. He calls you to go to one another. He calls you to know him, to serve him, and to pass that on, to share it with those who maybe haven't yet. You know, in order for us to be a church, a people of unity, you as a member of it have to value what it means to be a church and not just an individual Christian. That means you have to know and value what it means to be connected to one another in covenant to build each other up and not just live for our own desires. You don't have the right to use your rights without considering others. Christ died for that. And remember this, we are all in different places in our walk with Jesus. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? When we see somebody around us who's done something that we don't like or agree with, we forget. They may be weak. They're not where we are. They need us. 
they need us to come to them and just give hope and endurance in Christ and to love them in their weakness, to help them see there's a weakness. We are all in different places. This should move us to bear with one another and to be patient where we are. Bear with the weak. Don't just live, live to please yourself. But Paul goes a step further. He says, secondly, we don't just bear with one another. We seek to build up. You know, when we, when we see, think of bearing with one another, it could just be, well, we're just going to let it slide. Right? We're just going to go along like it's no big deal and pretend like everything's okay. We're really good at that. We're really good at pretending like everything's okay as people. Just trying to push it down so we don't have to think about it. And putting on our smiley face, how are you doing? Okay, I'm good. Really. And meanwhile, this thing's still over here. Verse 2 provides a helpful balance to verse 1. It's not just about bearing with the weak in a way that we just allow things to slide. No, because... God wants us to do more than that. He cares that we become like Jesus. Not just that we endure where we're at right now. He wants us to go to that weaker brother and not just make sure that they're happy or that their life's at ease. No, he wants them to become more like Christ. And so Paul adds the, the qualifier here in verse 2. Not just live to please ourselves, but instead work for his good or her good to build him up. Verse two, each, of, each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good. That's his spiritual good, to build him up. Paul here is not calling us to let other believers just take advantage of us. Hey, we just got to do whatever it takes to make this person happy. Like we're just going to do it and I'm going gonna, gonna to put, put away everything else I want to do just so that they can be happy and I'm going to please them. That's not what Paul is saying here. No, he's saying there should be a, a desire within us as believers, as followers of Jesus, to genuinely want their spiritual good, the good of every other Christian. Like, this is what we long for because we want others to know Jesus like we have. And so he's not saying let, let people take advantage of us. No, work towards their good. In Christ, don't just live to make them happy. But it's also not glossing over the weaknesses and pretending like everything is okay either, is it? Because to work with someone for their good, to build them up, you can't do that without them. And they can't do that without you. Which means it takes two people. Which means this is hard. It means you got to go to somebody who's weak and help them see they're weak. And you got to talk about it. And you got to work through it. And you go walk with it together. Walk through it with through it together. That there's the person has to admit there's a need for growth and building up. And you have to go to them humbly out of love and care and concern and help them see that and walk with them through it. But ultimately, this is not just hard. This is the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Because to be a Christian, we have had to come to a place where we admit we are weak. We are weak. Every single one of us has had to come to the place, if we are a follower of Jesus, to say, 
Jesus, I need you because I am weak in my sin and I don't know you. I don't know God. And you're the only way. And I can't do this life apart from you. Every follower of Jesus has had to come to a place where they had to admit they can't figure out life apart from Jesus ruling their life. For forgiving their sins. Making them new. Transforming their lives, their thinking, their, their, the way they live. And we know as a Christian, as long as we have breath, every single one of us will have that need. We are weak until we die and we are resurrected and we are with Jesus forever. We are weak. So it should be, as Christians, something we embrace to know we might have a weakness and we might need others to help us. And it should also be something we embrace to know there's others around us who are weak and they need us to help them. But what do we do? We push back on that. We don't want to talk to people. We don't want to have those hard conversations and as a result, we miss out on the opportunity for Christ to transform us in them because we want to take the easy route. We need Jesus because we are weak people, and we need one another to remind us we need Jesus because we are weak people. And so this is the question. Are we seeking to build others up for their, their good in their faith? Are we taking the easy route? You know, this is the kind of stuff that happens in small groups, one-on-one. -on -one. But it will only happen if we're willing to enter into each other's lives. A group is only a group. The relationships happen through conversations, through intentionality, through investment, through love for one another. Which means you and I have to be proactive with gentleness and grace, truth, and the heart of the gospel to serve one another and build one another up. Not just do what we want to do. So we have to sacrifice and be intentional to do what it takes to build each other up in the faith. This is the call of Christ for his people. Don't just bear with people and put up with them. Live to build them up. Go near to them. Get in each other's lives. Third, we see how we start to live with the spiritual good of one another in mind when we have one goal, when we have one controlling goal as his people, to glorify God together. Did you come here today saying, I want to go worship God? Or, did you say, I want to go worship God with God's people together? There's a difference. There's a difference that changes how you walk into this room when you think that way. How you look at the people around you. We are here as God's people to glorify God together and not just on our own. It would be easy to say, as we're reading through Romans 14 and 15, to say that unity is the ultimate purpose of these two chapters. 
But in actuality, while Paul, yes, talks about unity as God's people and highlights the importance of it, that's not the ultimate goal. The goal is not just that we would all get along. As, much, as easy as that would be for us, God calls us to something bigger than just getting along. The goal here is that our unity would produce something. That we would glorify God like we never have before as God's people. Together. There is a bigger purpose that God calls us to as a church. Jump ahead to verses 5 and 6 here in Romans 15. Let's read that together. Paul says this, Live in harmony with one another. Right. In other words, be unified, have unity, according to Christ Jesus. This, this should match who we are in Jesus, live in harmony, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. When Paul says, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice, he's not talking about you as an individual. That word, you may glorify, is plural. He's talking to the church so that you all may glorify God with one voice and one mind. You're thinking the same way. You're speaking the same way because you all are united around Jesus, and that's enough. This is the goal of unity, that you glorify God together, and that means all of us together, not just a few of us. A few of us over here think one way. A few of us over here think one way. No, we're all together for Jesus. Don't be content to glorify God with most of the people. If there is one person you can't glorify God together with, make that your mission to resolve that so that you can glorify God together with them because Jesus is worth it. Have the hard conversations and sit down and pray and work through it. But first, you have to come to the conclusion yourself that glorifying God is worth it, that that is your goal in life. Because you're not going to want to do the hard things to glorify God with other people if you don't think he's worth it for yourself. Is that your goal? Are you willing to do the hard things with other people, hard people, hard situations? Because your goal is to glorify God in all things. I'm asking you, do you know Jesus like this? Do you love him like this, or do you love yourself more? You know, Jesus is the only one who can forgive your sin. He is the only one who can transform your failings and turn them into ways to glorify God. He's the only hope for your future, for your eternity. And you have to know him in such a way that you want to glorify him by laying down your desires and following his By saying, Jesus, I need you in my life because I've been all about myself. 
and life's not about me. It's about something bigger and greater and more worthy. It's about you. Paul longs for this church to glorify God together versus having self-focused goals. Is your Christian faith more about your self-focused goals? I want to read this many times this week. I want to pray this many times this week. I want to accomplish this as a Christian without ever thinking of God's people. Don't be short-sighted. God has a bigger plan for you than that. Yes, it's good to have goals. We need to be growing in Christ as individuals, but never to the neglect of the bigger purpose, what God has for his people, and how he can use us and use them in our lives. So this starts with us individually. So how do we do this? How do we glorify God and want to glorify him with his people? We see two things that Paul highlights here. First, it starts with looking at Jesus. We seek to imitate him. As we see so often in Paul's ministry and in the book of Romans, Paul reminds us that Jesus is both our example and our motivation and power to live this way. Look at verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Mark 10.45 puts it this way. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And he took on our insults to serve us. Paul's saying, listen, Jesus was willing to be mocked and tortured and killed for the good of his people. You can say, well, I'm not Jesus. That's true. You're not Jesus. And I'm not either. But if you're a Christian, Jesus' spirit lives in you, and you can't be content to not live like Jesus. That's who you are. Christ bought you and purchased you to make you like himself and to redeem you. And he did this so that we might serve others as he has served us, so that they might see the real Jesus in us, to take on this sacrificial attitude and to build them up so that they can know him. Paul reminded the church, remember Jesus the perfect God-man, and your Lord. He's your Lord. You're called to imitate him because he lives in you and he gives you everything you need to do it. Walk with him because he is at stake in how you live or don't live with one another. So we're called to imitate our Savior. We're also called to worship together. We glorify God by worshiping him together. And we see that in several ways. Verse 4, for whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction. In other words, we are called to instruct one another in God's word. We read and we remind each other what God says to build each other up. And yet, we're not going to be willing to do that if we're more concerned about ourselves than others. We're not going to sit down and open God's word with people if we're more concerned about what makes us feel more comfortable or be more pleased. We're not going to take time to do that with other people, especially people who we struggle with. Then he says, encourage one another to endure 
by pointing to God's word so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. You have the unique opportunity and privilege to help others endure in the faith and encourage them through God's word. Simply by speaking God's word, you can endure, help others endure and be encouraged. Why would we not want to take advantage of that? And yet we get focused on ourselves. It's not going to happen if we're not thinking of their need to endure and be encouraged. So often we get so wrapped up in our own struggles and we forget. And people are struggling all around us. They need to be encouraged in the Lord. And God might use me to encourage them. And in so doing, God encourages me. This is how it works. Don't miss out on that blessing. If you want to be encouraged, encourage others in the Lord and see God work. Then we see last, Paul says, together and sing to glorify God together, according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Now you tell me how we're going to glorify God together with one mind and one voice if we aren't together. Not going to happen. Instead, we get to sing And I kind of get jealous of the music team sometimes because they get to stand up here and hear you guys singing with one voice. And I I, sometimes I turn around. If you see me turning around, that's what I'm doing. I'm just trying to listen to y'all. But and we need to like redo the. We just need to have a like center state. Everybody's in big circle or something. But we see that that God wants us to sing and gather together to glorify Him with one mind and one voice. And yet, disunity or a focus on ourselves hinders this, doesn't it? It hinders our worship. We're not one mind. We don't even want to sing. It hinders our worship as a people. We're called to glorify God together. Do you feel some sense of disunity or weakness that you're frustrated with with someone around you? What are you going to make sure that that doesn't hinder you from glorifying God together with them? What are you going to do about that? Don't let that continue. If you don't feel like you can glorify God together arm in arm with somebody, don't let that continue. Work through it. Jesus is worth it. And know this, God has given us the church to help us with this. Because sometimes it's not easy, and we need others to walk through it with us and help us and to give us counsel and to guide us. But the goal is always, let's glorify God together with God's people. And we know, listen, there's a tendency for every single one of us, including Christians, to major on the minors. We We like our things. We like our preferences. I get it. I'm the same way. Yet we can never miss that it is essential that we keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. His name, His glory, His cause through us. And when we keep Jesus as the main thing, we're going to start to love others despite their weaknesses. We're going to want to build them up instead of just pleasing ourselves. I pray, let this be our heartbeat here. And may the world see that we know Jesus and that we are about Jesus and we love him 
And may they love him because we long for the spiritual good of one another. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you. We thank you that you are a God who enables us to love one another in spite of our failings because you have loved us in our failings. While we were ungodly, Christ died for us. You sent him to die for us, Father. May we die to ourselves for you, for your people. Help us to have this kind of love. We can't do it, Father. We can't do it on our own. But we know that through Christ, all things are possible. And so we look to you. We put our hope in you to do this in us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.